0: Hey, it's me, Tim Ranzetta, founder of NextGen Personal Finance, and thank you for tuning into the podcast today. My guest, Dan Cadlick. Chances are if you read about personal finance, you have read one of Dan's books or columns. He's been writing about the topic for over 30 years, although he said 10 years ago he had an epiphany and decided he needed to write more about money and kids, so he's going to share a lot of the insights. He's gained over the years as both a writer as well as a dad and the, what he's learned through the life experiences of his children also. He's also going to share with us the fact he really is a somebody who wanted to be a sports broadcaster and kind of came to his career by happenstance, which I think is an instructive tale for young people also, that you often end up in professions you didn't originally anticipate. And finally, we're going to learn about his new entrepreneurial venture which is really focused on thinking beyond our borders when it comes to financial literacy and writing about it as a global phenomenon. So stay with us. I know you're going to enjoy the conversation that follows. Welcome, Dan Cadillac. Great to have you on the NGPF podcast today.
1: Hi, Tim. Happy to be here.
0: All right. You've had a long history in the field, Dan. Fill, us, fill in all our listeners with uh, what you've done and what you're up to now.
1: Well... I don't know if we have that much time, but uh, <laughs> um, I've been at you know the personal finance game for 30 years. Uh, I would say about 10 years ago, I really shifted gears and became interested in this issue of kids and money and financial literacy. Uh, I've written about this subject now quite a bit for Time Magazine, for Money Magazine, I I had a blog for a while on CBS uh, Market Watch. uh, I'm sorry, Money Watch, um, which was called the Bank of Dad, and uh, it was all. It's all been focused at at getting kids the knowledge they're going to need as adults uh, when it comes to uh, money issues. Uh, And the backdrop of that, of course, is is the eroding social safety net with no pensions and job insecurity and And all the things that older generations have had to backstop them, this younger generation is not going to have any of that uh, later in life. Uh, The one thing they do have is a lot of time, and if they get started now, and I mean in your 20s, early 20s, and even earlier if possible – there won't be any, they won't have any issues. They, they, they actually, the, the beauty of this is if you start at 20, you actually won't have any issues when you're 70. Uh, and so my personal mission has become to get kids started early. And just one other thought, which is along with what I've done for mainstream media, in the last few months I've launched a, a, my own website called writeaboutmoney.com uh, on Twitter, at writeaboutmoney and this site is entirely devoted to financial education around the world, what's happening, who's doing what, what works, how teachers you know, are getting this done, uh, what policymakers are thinking. That is my newest effort, and, and that is my part in this battle.
0: Awesome. So we will spend the latter part of the pod- podcast talking about your current venture, because I really I want to dive in, dive in on that. But before we do that, we gotta figure out what makes you tick. So what was your relationship with money growing up? I mean, for a guy who spent 30 years writing about it, I wondered whether this was just the natural, you know, a natural interest of yours that you knew eventually you were gonna come around to, or yeah, I just want to understand how you got there and perhaps some some of the more interesting things that happened during your formative years, uh, as it relates to money.
1: Well, Tim, it was anything but natural. Uh, <laughs> when I, when I, when I was I younger, I was, <laughs> when I was younger, I was, uh, determined to be a broadcaster. Uh, I wanted to call baseball games.
0: Uh, you have a uh, great radio voice.
1: <laughs> then, then I became a journalist, uh, And I was writing about cops and robbers in in courtrooms. Uh, uh, I always thought at that point then I would become a sports writer. Uh, And I actually was offered a job uh, writing for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, uh, And I was thinking about taking it. Then I looked at the job description, and it was uh, seven days a week all weekends and evening work. And I thought, you know, I'm just about to get married. I, I don't know that that's going to work for me. Then I investigated business writing. And I saw, basically at the time, a nine to five job, Monday through Friday. And I thought, I'm going to take a look at this. Uh, and guess what? I did that. I got, I, 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 I got on a, put on a beat covering Wall Street. I fell in love with the stock market and how money works. Uh, and that was really where it started thirty years ago.
0: Okay, um, first article uh, with your byline.
1: First, I think it was. I think it was for the community newspaper when uh, someone turned a hundred years old, and I, <laughs> got sent to, I got sent to the community home to cover it. Uh, you know, that's how we start in this business.
0: Oh, I was thinking <laughs> Wall Street, though. First Wall Street story.
1: Well, I wouldn't remember that. Probably it was a daily wrap-up of uh, what the market did that day. But I, I will say that I got thrown into the fire as a young reporter during the 1980s, uh, during the insider trading scandals, and, and, and covered a lot of uh, Mike Milken and Ivan Bosky and Dennis Levine and all the really infamous uh, uh, illegal stock traders of the day.
0: Yeah, so this was the mid. If my math is right, we're talking eighty five, eighty six, and then you had, the, and, then then
1: you had I, the and then I I was 80, on the
0: beat. the crash in eighty seven.
1: The crash in eighty seven. I was on the beat in eighty seven. Uh-huh. Um, I sat there in front of my Quotron. Most people don't remember what a Quotron is, but it's what we had before before the Internet, uh, and I watched the Dow fall 500 points, which at the time was heart-stopping. And, uh, yeah, it was up really, really in 24 hours uh, covering that and and putting out a story.
0: Yeah, and so I think in percentage terms, that was like 20%, right?
1: I believe believe it was uh, maybe 22%. Yeah, Yeah. I believe it was that big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay, so...
0: Oh, I'm There's sorry. a famous
1: story. From, a famous story from those days uh, when Alan Alan Greenspan was in the air when the when the market crashed and when he landed, he first thing he asked is well, how, where did it end up? And somebody said, I, I, I'm going to blow the story now. Somebody said <laughs> down 508, and he thought that meant 5.08 points. Yeah. And when he found out they meant 508 points, he almost had a heart attack.
0: Yeah, I bet. Wow. Okay, so 10 years ago, you you had something happen that leads you to want to focus more about writing about money and millennials or money and younger people. I wonder if there was anything like an epiphany you had, or kind of what motivated you to shift the focus of your attention, the focus of your journalistic, um, endeavors.
1: Well, there are a couple of things. Number one is I'd been writing about baby boomers forever and I became convinced that there's nothing left to say about this generation. Um, we're We're so covered and so overwritten about um, that I was looking to sort of change it up a little bit and And around the same time, my oldest child went away to college. Uh, the first one went to college, and we had a discussion about uh, credit the credit card and the gas card and the keys to the car and and the things that were no longer available to her and how she was going to have to start dealing with her own financial issues. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I realized that I was like countless other parents, uh, that I hadn't really dealt with this with my kids uh, when they were in high school and younger. Uh, Certainly, we did things like have allowance and that. But but the look in her eye made it clear to me that there was a deeper level that – that I should have gotten involved with, uh, and 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 I just thought, you know, this is this is a big issue. This this along with the the future instability of pensions and and so forth got me really thinking and 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 turned me passionate on the subject.
0: So she has that look in her eye that leads you to believe she doesn't. She's going to need some assistance. What did you what did you do after that, in terms of helping her out? What was we the thought, well, what was we, the Dan Cadillac uh, five hour? crash course it wasn't, in, in personal finance. It, it, wasn't,
1: it wasn't five hours. She, she'll she barely listen to me for five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> uh, but, uh, of course, we had a talk, uh, you know, and, and we, we talked just about the basics of uh, money coming in and money going out. I was still supporting her at that time, but made it clear to her that the level of support would not change, uh, so she needed to make it last, and and... You know things like keep your receipts, understand how much you're spending, uh, don't don't charge up a storm. You, you got to know, you got to keep track of what's coming and go. Basically, it was really simple. What's coming, what's going. You know, have a budget, stick to it, and you'll be fine. Uh, yep. That was really uh, that was really the message. Just manage your money. Don't live beyond what's coming in. And if, if 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 you don't have enough, you're gonna find something you have to cut until the next check comes in. And she was really kind of a natural. She took to it very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, by the way, and I, I, I like to throw this out there because it was really fun. Uh, uh, around that time, um, this their, uh, Oprah Winfrey had a segment on on how kids were bankrupting their parents without really knowing it. And my daughter and I were on that show, and and. That helped her a lot. That, that that cemented some of the lessons with her when she saw that this was such a big issue that Oprah was on it,
0: watched by tens of millions of people, millions of 25
1: people. Million, 25 wow. million. and 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 uh, and, and it, it's been in repeats. Not uh, not recently, but it really was played around the world.
0: Wow. Okay, so give us a little inside baseball here about being on Oprah. You know, either some personal detail about Oprah or how nervous you were. Give us, give us something.
1: The funny thing is, I wasn't nervous at all. Uh, I was more nervous for my daughter, who was who was awesome. Uh, but just having her there and my focus on her, it, it really relieved any tension I might have been feeling. Um, <laughs> So so it was great, and oprah i 'll say this about oprah she 's a real pro. Uh, uh, she made me feel comfortable, she got the best out of me uh, I, I really can 't speak highly enough about her from that from that one experience but here 's the inside here 's the inside baseball. Um, when we were leaving the studio after the show, I watched her interact with her audience and I hadn't realized really what a big deal she was. I, but, but people were leaning over the railings, just re- reaching out their hands. They just wanted her to touch them. Yeah. And it was almost Messiah like. I was just blown away. <laughs>
0: yeah. Wow. And she's a great business person, too. She is. She is. She's really uh, taken that, extended that brand quite a bit. All right. Now I'm distracted. Where were we? Uh... <laughs>
1: talk about kids and money i think and education uh i i'll go back just a little further since since to your question about my formative years uh i actually my dad was a banker uh and um i had an allowance and i learned early in life that there were there were no freebies and i, I think that that did set set a good tone first job first job i was selling fishing permits at uh at, at a local uh, county park, uh, and counting the number of catfish that went out every night.
0: Wow! Where was this?
1: This was in South County, St. Louis, uh, Susan Park. Um, there was a there was a feed of fish there. They stocked the lakes twice a week. I sold the tickets and I counted the fish as they went out. And, that was a summer job. I, you know, the, the, the coolest job I had, or, or the hardest job I ever had, came after that when I was working summers when I was in college, and that was carrying hod for the bricklayers. Most people don't know what that is, but someone someone has to bring the bricklayers the brick. <laughs> that was me.
0: And that was your motivation to finish college?
1: That was my motivation to uh, get a job behind a desk
0: somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about the fish permits, like, so... You're a teen kid, and there's always some people who are trying to jump the line or not not pay for the permit. So, did you have to play heavy, also?
1: No, never. The, these were good, hardworking South County, honest adults. Uh, there were no kids there. This this was. These are mostly a lot of basically a lot of retirees and uh, and and you know older people, not old old, but you know not kids that were trying to get anything free. Sure.
0: Okay. So in the, in the age of the internet, as a journalist, you know, similar, I I blog quite a bit, you know, I'm always focused on page views. I wondered if there were two or three articles that jump out at you that you've written about kids and money that seemed to be the most, most popular and perhaps what you thought was behind, other than the fact there was a great writer behind it, you know, what you think was the cause of their, their popularity.
1: I'd have to think about that. Um, I think you know certainly anything you write about student loans it, it, uh, gets gets gobbled up. Um, uh, that is really a big one, um, and I also think I've had good response in articles that talk to parents about about allowance. Uh, allowance, you know, that's it. Allowance is a big one. People don't really. Everyone kind of gets allowance to a certain degree, but they've got questions about how much and how often and should you have chores tied to it. It's, it you know, that's that's actually a very interesting topic for a lot of people.
0: So what's your philosophy around that?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I would never tie chores to allowance, uh, which puts me at odds with someone like Susie Orman. But but I'm OK with that because I've got kids uh, and I and I, I think I know what works Uh uh, to me, a chore is something that you do because you live in the household. I think allowance is different. Um, it's 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 a money management tool. If you put the two together, you got a real problem. If your child decides, well, I, I'd rather not get paid, so I won't do the chore. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and I and I think that there should be an opportunity to make money around the house beyond your allowance and beyond your chores. Uh, so you set a line there. Um, uh, every kid should have a chance to to be industrious and make more. But I think some base level of allowance that's not tied to chores, I just think, makes sense.
0: Any other uh, twists you had in the allowance game? So things I've picked up along the way. I got the three jars sitting on our kitchen counter, um, you know, spend save give uh and the other thing i do is a match any dollar they save because that was something my dad used to do for me any dollar i saved he'd match dollar for dollar um and i also dispense allowance on a monthly basis so that they have to that came courtesy i think of jonathan clements um his his column anyway i wondered if you had any special twists too that either you've uh, done- just, just
1: what just- just one. I first of all, I didn't do the jars, and I think that's a fabulous idea. I we, we basically j- just dealt with uh, spending money, um, and I, I didn't really walk through save, spend, charity. I, did, I didn't do that, and I and I and I probably should have. I think that's a great idea. Uh, the thing that I think that maybe I've brought to the discussion is this thing, which I call the f- the family four hundred one k, and it it for me. It's been very effective in that, as my kids started having earned income, um, that is what I matched into a Roth IRA. I, so for each of them, I opened up a Roth IRA as soon as they had earned income, and I matched dollar for dollar, up to the limit, everything they made over the summer, uh, which awesome. really jumps. It really jumpstarted their their savings, uh, and it and it it jibes very well with my philosophy that. You need to start saving early. Uh, But not only, you know, does saving at 16 or 17 give you an extra 10 years of compounding, which even on small amounts can be a huge thing by the time you're 70, Um, it also sort of showed them the value of what a 401k could do for them when they were in the workforce. Um, and, And so now I've got, well, two of them in the, in the, in the, in the workforce. And and they're all, they're all about their for, maxing, maxing out the 401K. Yep. You're listening to a podcast from NextGen Personal Finance. We think our data crunch activities are phenomenal for all types of teachers to use with their students. Each features a single graph or chart focused on a personal finance concept and five scaffolded questions to assess student understanding at depth of knowledge levels one through four. Use them as bell ringers, homework or substitute assignments, or to practice graph reading for state exams. Find our Data Crunch activities under the Curriculum tab at nextgenpersonalfinance.org.
0: That's great. So uh, your daughter, who was the oldest, I guess, she came to you after she started earning money. You set up this Roth IRA. The next question she's going to ask, obviously, is, well, what do I invest in, Dad? What was your advice around that, uh, either with her or with your, your the reading audience?
1: Well, with with all my kids and with anyone, the first thing I say is, don't worry about where you're putting your money yet. Just start saving it. Uh, and by that, I mean, don't worry so much about what what assets it's going into. If you've got a 401k, just make sure you just make sure you're opting in. It, it, you know, if you're if you're doing direct deposit because you don't have a 401k, just make sure you're making deposits every month. Just start there, because at this age you're starting with small amounts of money. And, and the, the key is just getting started. After a year or two, and, and I mean you could do it sooner than this, too, but you can do nothing but just save money for a year or two before you really have much accumulates. Um, and so you just want to be in the habit. So create the habit of saving. That's number one. Number two, you know, and in, 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 if you're in a 401K, you'll be asked these questions, where do, you want, where do you want to direct the money? Well, I say, okay, don't think too hard about it. Just opt in. Most places will just opt you in to the default, which is a perfectly suitable target date fund. To, you know, if you don't feel like thinking about it, just go right there. You'll be fine. Just go right there, and you don't have. And then go live your life. And that target date fund will do great for you over the long term.
0: Can you uh, explain, Dan, just a little bit for our listeners exactly what a what a target date fund is for those of for those not familiar with it?
1: Right. So, a, a, a target date fund is uh, is a managed. It's a mutual fund. In, in most cases, it's a low cost mutual fund that is managed based on your age. So uh, pick the year you're going to turn 65. And let's just pick a number, say that's 2050, uh, just to throw a number out there. Um, and and this fund, there is a manager behind this fund. And he will, number one, be totally diversified. So you, you won't be concentrated in any stock uh, sectors. You'll be diversified globally and by industry. Um, you and he will also manage your asset allocation so that when you're very young you will have mostly stocks as you get older they shift you into bonds and more conservative investments so that a a market decline when you're older wouldn't wouldn't hurt that bad Uh, so that they call that a target date mutual fund because you're targeting the date that you're going to retire and with this one decision you will have diversification and asset allocation that is appropriate for you for your entire life. Most people that join a 401k today are opting into a, a single target date fund. And it has been the most impressive and the, and the most important development, innovation, in finance in a long time because it's got people not only saving but saving correctly.
0: Now, I don't know whether you've written about it, but I've certainly read articles, too, about – some cautionary tales about target date funds you want to share a little bit about kind of what uh, you know it is the appeal of a one decision and you're done is great but then what should you be looking under the hood for
1: well fees are you know always fees some some have more fees than others so fees definitely uh not all target date funds uh, have are aggressive enough some of some of them you know when you're you know some of them move to bonds too early you you want i think you want a fairly aggressive target date fund uh, uh because most of them are modeled after after you know a a retirement date of 65 and and dying at 85 and i and i think the reality for kids today they're going to retire at 70 or 72 and live to 100 so you you need to maybe think about that um so you're definitely in the
0: camp of like these old models of getting a lot more conservative as you get closer to retirement might have to be rethought just given longevity
1: they have to be rethought, and I think a lot of the, a lot of places are are rethinking them. But financial institutions move really slow on stuff like this because they don't have the research. They may have the research, but they don't have the data. They, you know, they're they're trying to, they're trying to watch their legal liabilities sure. and all sorts of things. Um, it's really up to the individual. To be a little to to make the the, the adjustments, uh, mm-hmm. and you could do, you could do that very easily by having most of your money in a target date fund, and then having an, a different a different fund that is just all equities. You know you know that would be one way to do it.
0: Yep. So back to the original question: when your daughter came to you and said, "Hey, Dad, thanks for setting up this Roth IRA. Now, where should I invest?" Why wasn't the first words out of your mouth? An index fund or even more specific, the S&P 500 index, because let's just get you started in a diversified, low fee, get you in the habit of, you know, picking that instrument.
1: Yeah, I, I would say those were th- those those were my first words when I got the pr- The problem was when they started, they didn't have enough money to even buy an index. Fund. Uh-huh, so I
0: they, some I, of them have like a three thousand. I guess if you buy the ETF, you can buy it at a couple hundred bucks. Um, right, and
1: I, and and ETFs are a different animal. I, I I I didn't want to really introduce them to individual stocks, and those things yep. have commissions and tr- and, and trade like stocks. They act like stocks, um, but in in I, I think my kids and I, I don't even. I, I'm pretty sure I, I ended up putting them in uh, in, in a Vanguard index fund and in the Wilshire 5000 probably yep. or the Total Market fund, but I there was a minimum there and it might've been as much as
0: I think it's 3000 I think it's $3,000 now. Yeah in, the, yeah. in the fund itself. So, yep.
1: so that's where they are now, but, but they didn't have a big enough initial investment, which is why I said, okay, just start now. And when you get enough, we'll go there.
0: Yep. Awesome. So if you were to, and you, you probably have been to, to talk to high school students, but I wondered if you had 45 minutes to teach a class about investing to, um, a bunch of sleepy seniors. How do you how do you bring that topic alive, you know? These are kids who are thinking by the minute and you're, you know, you're saying a lot of the right things that you have to start saving early because the power of compounding is extraordinary. But I wonder how you bring that concept to to a uh, impatient group of students who aren't thinking beyond uh, the lunch hour.
1: Uh, well, first of all, like you start by saying it's easy. Okay, it's really easy because Index funds and target date funds have made it easy. Uh, em- employers with 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 the with the automatic enrollment, they've all made it really easy, and they've made it easy not only to get started, but to not have to think about it once you've done that. Um, so that's number one. Um, and uh, what was the second part of your question? I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, it was just kind of how do you how do you bring the topic a lot? Let's say you had 45 minutes. Um,
1: yeah, one example. Students. Okay, so. So, So, one example of what compounding can do, so you say look here's what here's what two thousand dollars today looks like in fifty years uh, and i don't have those numbers in front of me, but it's huge uh, and and that usually gets their attention yeah,
0: I think it's seven or eight dollars i've kind of done, done it's every dollar you save today is worth now, obviously it needs to be inflation adjusted but still. Every dollar you save today that compounds at seven, eight, nine percent is worth. The
1: other one, the, the other one that I think is you know that I've been using a lot lately is is um, the uh, the value of an additional ten years of compounding. So the person that starts at twenty five versus the person that starts at thirty five. Yeah. Um, if you start at thirty five and you manage to save a million dollars, if you had started at twenty five. That extra ten years would turn that million into two million, just not through contributions, just through compounding. Yeah. Um, and and so the difference between one and two million is obviously quite a bit. And I and I think that's that's another really that's a favorite of mine. Just it, you get that just by the extra ten years with no extra contribution, just the extra ten years.
0: Well, just the idea of money work, like earning money that you don't have to work for or not earning, excuse me, making money and not having to work for it. I mean, that's the, I think that's the other, the big appeal around compound interest. You, you do nothing, you know, you're making money while you sleep. I think that's another analogy. I'll, I'll hear a lot of.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good one.
0: What do you say about, um, you know, you mentioned your articles about student loans tend to generate a lot of uh, interest. You know, what's your thinking on that, you know, for a high school senior, or and and their parents who say, "What's the right amount of student debt I should be taking on?" Or is is that too specific a question? You should actually step back a minute and think about it more broadly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the um, the exact amount. I, I, there are, there are people that will give you ratios. You shouldn't you shouldn't take on. I think one popular rule of thumb is you shouldn't take on more debt than you will than 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 the amount of your salary the first year out of school, yep. uh, something like that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, the rules of thumb. But, but one thing I know is that um, you should have some idea what your earning capacity is. Uh, uh, if you're studying to be a dentist, you can take on a little more debt than someone who's studying to uh, – you know, be a policeman, okay, or a fireman, you know, you get the idea. Um, uh, I honestly think that, that people that are studying to to do jobs that don't have huge upside, I mean, look, every job has a big upside if you go far enough and do well enough, but, but by and large, there are a lot of jobs that don't have high ceilings for a lot of people, and, you know, you, you don't want to take on too much debt if you know, if that's your line, if, if that's your love and that's what you want to do with your life, uh, you've got to be, you've got to be sensible about it.
0: So you've written a couple of books. What's, uh, what's your favorite?
1: You know, I, I think, I think my favorite is the, the power years, which is a book I did, uh, with Ken Dykewald about 10 years ago. Um, and it was again, you know, that was a baby boomer book, and, and and but that was that was we were sort of at the forefront of the longevity business um, and understanding that we were going to have really this entire second life between sixty five and eighty five, or really sixty and eighty, or sixty and ninety, uh, which which is a period of time when we're still going to be you know, on average, we're still going to be kind of healthy, we're going to have a lifetime of connections, hopefully we'll be financially fit, uh, and still have ambitions and still want to do things with our life. And and we kind of explored all the possibilities, uh, or at least some of the possibilities, of of what that would mean, you know, f- for your, your finances and, and just basically your health and well-being.
0: Mm-hmm. Any books that you're currently working on focused on uh, money and kids?
1: Not money and kids. Believe it or not, I, I'm 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 working through a concept now for uh, going back to the boomers, uh, which is something <laughs> called <laughs> you know.
0: It's a big market, I, I, right? I, it's a big market. It, they look, buy books. It,
1: it, it's a big market, and and <laughs> people, <laughs> you're right. It's a big market, uh, and uh, but there is this thing called. Longevity, uh, which, which, you know, there's a whole economy around longevity, and 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 I'm working through a concept there uh, of uh, of how how that's going to sort of change the game for businesses uh, that you know they really need to start thinking about really need to start thinking about consumers in their in their sixties, not not as old but as young. Mm-hmm.
0: So under the adage that, uh, you're never too old to start a business. Sorry, Dan, I couldn't resist. Um, tell us about, write about money, this new, uh, new venture that <laughs> you're, um, you're diving into.
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I, I you know, I, we started out by talking about this new passion. Um, uh, I have been in print journalism my whole life, uh, started with small newspapers in the Midwest, uh, Went to USA today, then ended up at Time Magazine for twenty years. Uh and man, it's been great. The print world has been great, has been really good to me. Uh uh no complaints. Uh but we all know what's going on in the print world. Uh, and there's contraction. Uh, it's it's uh you know, the industry's in a fair amount of turmoil. Um uh, and You're this just thing in the last called week. the internet. <laughs> this thing called the internet has kind of taken over and it, and and guess what it's kind of cool uh i i didn't you know i didn't think that maybe i would i would move this direction even 10 years ago or five years ago but but things happen fast and 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 uh i am just really loving being the publisher of my own of my own media company right now and and Um, I chose this one segment, financial education, to focus on because there's just so much out there on just general personal finance, which is what I know and what I've done, But, but I got interested in this subject. Um, I want to make a difference. I, I want to. I want to uh, help educators. I want to help policymakers understand the issues. I want. I want them to be aware of the research. I want them to be aware. Of m- mostly, and, mo- and 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 the key, key here is I'm. I want to be global with it because this is a subject that is top of mind in at least a hundred countries. Uh, and and you know, do you? you don't know what they're doing in Australia or England or Japan. And guess what? They're doing a lot. And, and some of it works and some of it works better than what we're doing. And, and so what I want to do is, is make this global community understand each other and, and uh, keep abreast of best practices and that sort of thing. So, that is where I am. I mean, I'm still, I'm still doing my thing for, uh, for time and, and for money. Most of it online, by the way, these days. Um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but this is, this is, this is my newest, uh, direction. And, uh, uh, so far going very well.
0: And this is something you're, you're just bootstrapping.
1: Bootstrapping. I, it's, it's me and about four freelancers. um, uh, uh, and I do have, I, I have a, a, a very wonderful sponsor, uh, uh, PWC, uh, is is sponsoring the site? I am always looking for more sponsors. Uh, if anyone has any, any any thoughts on that, please get in touch sure. Dan at right, dan at writeaboutmoney.com
0: We'll be sure to uh, yeah include that information in, uh, in our show notes okay. Great. Well, this has been uh, this has been great, Dan. Um, I think I'm going to meet you personally in Dallas at the upcoming Jumpstart conference. I wonder if you just give us a little uh, insight as to what you're going to talk about there.
1: Yeah, um, well, they've asked me to talk a little bit about the election. Um, and so I'm going to talk about certain and I'm not, you know, I've, my my theory is politics Shouldn't matter. You should invest for the long run, but there are some little interesting things that maybe to say about the election and, and, and investments, uh, and also the future. Did you just of,
0: say? Um, did you say little interesting things? I mean, this is. uh <laughs> I'm not sure that you can well, say anything little about this election.
1: <laughs> no, I, I think the best thing you can say about this election is it's almost over. Uh, Amen. Uh, uh, so, you know, but but that said. Uh, you know, the government has been behind financial ed and it's a bipartisan issue. And, and I think it's kind of fun to look at maybe where we, we might be headed with that.
0: Awesome. Well, great. Any parting words for our, uh, educators, Dan, before we go,
1: I think, you know, stay the course. It's, it's, uh, y- your mission is, is an important one. It's, uh, it's really where the rubber meets the road. And, um, I'm encouraged at the number of teachers that I see that want a piece of this. Uh, and I think, uh, I think we we'll, I think the movement is building and we have the potential to make a difference.
0: Great. Well, you certainly have Dan, and I look forward to uh, continuing to see the progress about, uh, with your organization, right about money. Cause I think you're right on. We've got, there really is a global effort here. I don't see anybody doing what you're doing kind of pointing out. I'm just looking at your, your, uh, homepage right now. You know, you've got a, you've got information about uh japanese study and i remember back in the day when i was looking at other international efforts like new zealand seemed to have a great effort of how to educate you know at scale with the population obviously it's obviously it's a much smaller country than the us but there are some real interesting things happening internationally and being able to to be the kind of the the center of that or the hub of what's happening i think is a is a noble effort
1: yeah, no, and you mentioned New Zealand and Australia also. They've got great government websites. By the way, we've got a pretty good one at mygov dot com uh, with with sort of you know good unbiased information about money. Uh, but New Zealand, Australia, they're 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 really ahead of the curve on this. They've got mandatory financial ed in their classrooms. It's uh, you know we can learn from from other uh, other countries.
0: Awesome. Well, great. Well, thanks again, Dan. It was great having you on the show. My pleasure. Hey, a few final housekeeping items before we go. I'm going to put links to a couple of the sites that Dan mentioned as well as several of his more popular columns and a link to his new venture, Write About Money. We'll put that on the website too. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or you can even go to our website, consultant. And didn't have to say nextgenpersonalfinance.org, but unfortunately ngpf.org is already taken. So on behalf of Dan and myself, I want to thank you again for tuning in and I hope you have a wonderful week.